Good morning. Welcome, church. It's good to see your lovely faces, or the silhouettes of them anyway. You may stand with us this morning if you would like. You can also sit, kneel, altars are open, whatever you're comfortable with. This is a, a place of freedom. You can express yourself in worship. Within reason, of course, we are Nazarenes. So this morning, I'm just going to open us in prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, I just thank you for the people that you've brought together here, your people. I'm so grateful for each and every one of them. Lord, I just ask that you would meet each person in a personal way. You'd meet them right where they are. Only you know what they need, so I don't pretend to have the right words. I just ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would touch each heart to bring them comfort and peace, the peace of God, the shalom of God, that completeness, the wholeness that we all desire. Lord, and I just ask that each person would leave knowing that they encountered you this morning and that they would take you with them into their week. God, I just ask that you give us grace this morning as we worship you, that you would help us to ignore any distractions, any obstacles, any thoughts, any stresses, any worries, any technical issues. Knock on wood, there's no wood anywhere. Um, Lord, but we just ask that you would help us, no matter what, to just fix our eyes on you, to set our gaze on you, and to just purpose our hearts to worship you in this moment, because you are worthy, and because that is the place where we are most alive, and that is the place where we are refreshed. It's, it's a beautiful gift that you've given us, so we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to take advantage of that this morning and just be in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, let's do it. We're going to worship him. God 
call to worship to you this morning from Psalm chapter 92. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, it is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. We're going to have this prayer of rest that I love, a response to that verse. I'm going to read it over you. Above all things and in all things, O oh my soul, rest always in God. For he is the everlasting rest of the saints. Grant, most sweet and loving Jesus, that I may seek my repose in you. For my heart cannot rest or be fully content until rising above all gifts and every created thing, it rests in you. That's from Thomas Kempis, Imitation of Christ. Amen. All right. Mm -hmm. 
broken as my life may be, I will give you every piece. I hear you call. I am available. And I say, yes, Lord.
Use me how you want to, God. Have your throne within my heart. I hear. I hear you This next song is for you, Stu.
for your great love. We're going to build our life on that love. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert.
Amen. You may be seated this morning. Denise, it's nice to have you on the piano this morning. I'd love to ask if you would mind playing for us while we pray. We're going to go into a time of corporate prayer, as we often do at this point in the worship service, and I just want to invite you, as always, to uh, just take a posture that is comfortable for you and um, just focus this time on the Lord. And let us join together in prayer and petition as we ask God to help us to make these truths that we've sang this morning to help make these things a reality for us. Would you pray that with me this morning? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your love that always meets us where we are and meets us in this place this morning. God, I just pray that you would meet us here and help us to just fix our eyes on you. God, this morning I am thankful for the truth of the gospel that has been proclaimed in these songs. I'm thankful for the truth of a spirit-filled life that is communicated in these songs. God, I am blessed this morning because I feel like your gospel the, the power of, of your saving gospel has not lost its significance. And it struck me again this morning as we were singing. Even though we sometimes use mysterious language to communicate these truths, Lord, ultimately, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that, Jesus, you laid down your life for us. And, and part of your laying your life down for us means that your blood was shed. Your blood was shed for us, and we don't like to think about that. We don't like to imagine those things. But as we, as we just acknowledged in these songs your blood it was shed and spilled for us so that we might find a full and complete life in you lacking nothing and that we were able to see in you what it looks like to lay down one's life for the other Jesus, we thank you for your grace that saves us. We thank you that your grace is so powerful that a man can be taking his last breath. He's crucified for crimes that he has committed and he can take his last breath 
And your grace is so powerful that it can carry him from that moment into eternity when he seeks you, when he turns his face toward you. And God, we recognize this morning that we are not far removed from that dying thief. We are that dying thief. We are humbled and grateful that your grace is sufficient for us, for me. Jesus, we thank you and praise you this morning that you laid down your life for us, that you, your grace is strong. It forgives and, and fills and renews. And yet you don't stop. You don't stop there. We are thankful this morning that your spirit dwells within us. Your spirit dwells within us so that we can sing a crazy line like be saved and sin no more. That it's possible that your grace is sufficient enough for us that we can live a life that is free from the grips and the power of sin through Christ Jesus. And some of us just need to be reminded this morning that that is possible in and through you. Because some of us are still slaves to our sin. Some of us still allow our sin to rule over us or to keep us in a dark place. But Jesus, your word promises freedom. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we are free to experience a full, flourishing, thriving life in you. And we are humbled and grateful this morning. Jesus, I pray that these, these truths, that this power would meet each one of us right where we are. And that we wouldn't be able to escape or run from these things. That we would see just how loved and forgiven and freed we are today. Jesus, I pray as we open up your word. I pray that it would be useful for teaching and guiding and directing us today. Pray that this would be a foundation that we can build our lives upon. And I trust, Holy Spirit, that you will speak a word to each of us here today. Help us, God, to be sensitive, to be open, and obedient to respond. God, this morning we just rest in our love for you. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Denise, I put you on the spot, but that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Thank you, Denise. Sometimes I just wanted to stop and listen, and then I was like, I got to keep praying. <laughs> but it was so beautiful, I just wanted to rest in that.
Thank you to our worship team this morning, right? They were getting us going with that song. I really liked it. I was digging that this morning. Thank you, Stu, for that song, I guess. I don't know where he is, but we're grateful that you maybe requested that song. Well, this morning I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to Luke chapter 17. For those of you who are just now joining us, uh, maybe for the first time, we have been slowly, I'll just acknowledge, slowly walking our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We are, the goal of this series, this long, what started out as a summer series and what's morphed into a summer slash fall series, the goal of this series was to just open ourselves up to the Gospel of Luke, to the life of Jesus that is um, that is shared in the Gospel of Luke, and that we would let those truths form and shape us as we seek to be the people of God. That's been the goal here. We're looking at Jesus. First and foremost, everything else stripped away, we're, we're looking at Jesus, and we are opening ourselves up to the ways that he wants to form us and shape us as his people. So today we are going to be in Luke chapter 17. Um, I don't have a whole lot of an introduction to kind of give you some more time to be seated before I ask you to stand again. So I'm just going to ask you to stand again this morning as we honor and read God's word from Luke chapter 17 verses 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything, you were told to do should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, for the first time in what seems like a long time, Jesus is redirecting his attention and he is taking his attention a little somewhat away from the Pharisees because it's kind of been a running joke for the past several weeks. Like sometimes I feel badly about like constantly uh, just you know pointing out the Pharisees' failures and and mistakes, and and so we have just been 
week after week, each passage has just been one criticism against the Pharisees after another, and it's just felt like a lot. And so finally, here we are at a place where Jesus is redirecting his attention to his disciples, to those who are following him and seeking to learn from him. However, I strongly suspect that he wasn't completely disregarding the Pharisees in this moment. I I kind of suspect that the Pharisees were somewhere in his peripheral. That's a hard word to say. (laughs) They were somewhere on the outskirts here, and I am sure they were still paying attention because keep in mind at this point, the Pharisees are looking to trap Jesus, right? And so they're hanging on to every word. And so they are still listening, which um, is encouraging to remember. This also feels like a Luke chapter 12 moment. Now, because we have been slowly walking our way through the Gospels, Luke chapter 12 was a long time ago, but this feels like a Luke chapter 12 moment. Remember when Jesus has just, again, delivered all these woes, he's woe to you, woe to you, and then he turns his attention to the disciples and says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This feels like a Luke chapter 12 moment where Jesus has just delivered one warning and woe after another and then turns to the disciples and essentially is saying to them, watch out, watch out, because this is not good for the people of God. Because as we've said for a while now, for a while, Jesus has just spoken out against the Pharisees, one thing after another, condemning and criticizing their behavior. Just to give you a quick recap of some of those things recently, this doesn't even cover the entire gospel up until this point, but just recently, the Pharisees have been criticized for, for not letting someone be healed and receive healing and wholeness on the Sabbath, right? Remember that one where they were condemning and criticizing Jesus for offering to heal and free someone on the Sabbath when Jesus says, what better day for someone to be healed and restored and freed than on the Sabbath, right? And so we see that criticism. We see criticism that the Pharisees are always seeking a place of honor, right? In an honor-shame culture, the Pharisees, conveniently enough, are always in this place of honor. (laughs) Can't help it. That's just where we are. Right? And so Jesus is, is criticizing them for always assuming this high, worthy place of honor. Jesus is criticizing and has criticized the Pharisees for planning these glorious, extravagant dinner parties that consist of only those who look like them, who live like them, who act like them, who talk like them, ignoring and forgetting anyone else who is on the outskirts or the margins. Jesus has just criticized the Pharisees for their complete disregard and contempt for the lost and the broken, the oppressed and the marginalized, the marginalized. Jesus, as we just looked at last week, has criticized the Pharisees for their idolizing of wealth and status, all while ignoring the very needy in their midst. And so this is what Jesus has in mind then in Luke chapter 17 when he says to the disciples, woe to anyone who causes these little ones to stumble. This seems like 
chapter 17, I don't know about you, but just reading it maybe for the first time this morning, it might to you seem like this is a, a strange compilation of random lessons and teachings on random things that Jesus just picks and chooses from like sin and faith and duty. <laughs> what is happening here? Like, what is the point of what Jesus is saying here? And as I read over and over again this week, and as I studied and read some more, I was grateful to see, it didn't take too long to see, that there is indeed a common theme here. Uh, There is indeed a common thread that is kind of woven throughout this chapter, through this passage. There is, if you will, a chain that is linking each um, clause or thought to the next. And I'll give you a moment to think about it. Let's just see if you can think or identify what that common thread is. I'll give you a hint. It's a one word, and it's a one word antidote to avoid being like the Pharisees, which as we've seen time and time again, at this point, it's just a dangerous place to be, right? The Pharisees, let me remind you to kind of give you some more hints for this, this word, this theme that we see, the Pharisees are confident in themselves, right? They pride themselves of just how capable they are. They're proud of all they've accomplished and done, and they're also proud of all the things they do not do, right? Things that they do not participate in. The Pharisees have been criticized for imposing heavy burdens on others, standards that they cannot live up to, and, and maybe, if we're being honest, standards that they cannot live up to and should not have to live up to. They are critical of others constantly, all while failing to look inside themselves and, and see their own sins and failures and shortcomings. And they withhold justice and mercy from those around them who so badly need it. Have you identified the common theme yet? Anybody want to shout it out? Humility. It's humility. There's this common theme here that connects each passage to the next, and it's humility. In other words, how can we avoid these dangers that Jesus is warning about, right? He has been laying out this foundation of, of here's what you do that is wrong, and here are the things that God is, is frustrated with and God is angered by, And here's what I'm asking you to do. And the only way you can avoid these dangers that that I'm warning about is by taking a posture of humility. The Pharisees are seriously lacking in humility, for it was their pride and their arrogance and their self-righteousness, keep in mind, that ultimately led them to oppose Jesus once and for all, right? Take verse one through three, verses one through three, for example. Jesus is talking about causing others to stumble, right? And he says that the, that the Pharisees, or we're reminded anyways, that the Pharisees are considered to be experts in the law. We've talked a lot about that, that that's part of why Jesus is so frustrated because these are the, the guys who claim to be the experts, the know-it-alls in the law and the things of God, the, the ways that he's called his people to live. And in doing so, people are looking to them. They are watching them and they are learning from them, even though the ways in which the Pharisees are living are completely counter 
to the ways of the kingdom of God and how God has called his people to live. And so if others are following in their footsteps, they are seriously being led astray. And Jesus says, he even uses this uncomfortably strong imagery. That's just, right, with the tying the millstone around your neck and being thrown, like that's, that's uncomfortably strong imagery that Jesus uses to warn us just how dangerous this is, leading the vulnerable and the impressionable astray. And I don't think we should rush, rush past that this morning. I think we, we, the church, people are looking at us. People are looking to us. Leaders within the church, and certainly pastors, this is one of those weeks where I feel like I need to be sitting down here, right? Because that's where I need to be. This is for us, because they're looking to us. And Jesus wants us to understand the weightiness of that responsibility and how, how devastating it will be if we lead others astray. And you might be thinking like, whoa, Thanks for that subtle reminder. But the question is, how do we avoid leading others astray? If they're looking to us and if we are showing the world who God is, how do we avoid leading them astray? Humility, right? We don't see others in an unfair light or hold them to a standard that we either aren't willing to hold ourselves to or a standard that's just unfair for them. How do we refrain from passing judgment to others, which we so easily do sometimes? How do we refrain from usurping the role of God and condemning others, making eternal judgments for them? Humility. That's the, that's the answer. That's how we avoid. Because a prideful person, listen up, a prideful person will only ever see what everyone else is doing wrong. A prideful person will only ever see how everyone else is falling short. And yet, they so often refuse to look at themselves and ask how they might be falling short. You know, sometimes I save questions for the end of the sermon for us to kind of reflect on as we try to make these teachings personal for us. But today I want to do something a little bit different and I want to pause after each point and I want to just allow the Holy Spirit to address this specific question. And so this morning I just want to pause and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask, does the Holy Spirit need to address some pride this morning? Just pause. Holy Spirit, show us if we need to address a pride issue this morning. Do we happen to be, maybe sometimes unintentionally, I believe the best in us, that it probably is often unintentional, but do we need to address a pride issue this morning? Only God can tell you. Verse 4, Jesus moves on. He, He moves on from... This, this warning to avoid causing others to stumble. And then he moves on in verse four to forgiveness, seemingly just abruptly shifting gears. And he, he starts talking about forgiveness and, and offering forgiveness toward those who repent 
who sin against you and repent. And he says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Jesus is using that very particular language that he often does where he's trying to communicate by using this number seven that there should be no limit. There is no record keeping here. There is no limit. You shouldn't limit the amount of times that you offer forgiveness to someone. Now, something that just stood out to me as I thought about this this week, and I just feel like I have to acknowledge this, that this is not an excuse for any kind of abuse. Okay, let's just acknowledge that. I just feel like we should always acknowledge that, that we know where Jesus stands when someone is being mistreated or abused. And he always stands with those who are being mistreated, abused, and oppressed. And so this is not an excuse to let that abuse continue. Are you with me? This is when someone has wronged you, when someone just, they messed up. Maybe they did something or said something that hurt you, whether they even meant to or not. And this is them coming back to you, genuinely repenting and asking for your forgiveness. And Jesus says, you must forgive them. Because if we are selfish with our forgiveness, if we are withholding forgiveness from others, then here's the danger. The danger is we might be, we might be in danger of assuming that we ourselves don't ever need forgiveness. And if I don't need forgiveness, then I'm probably going to feel pretty stingy and I'm not going to freely offer that forgiveness to others. Is it possible that our own pride and arrogance keeps us from seeing the ways in which we have failed? the ways in which we have lashed out against others and hurt them, the ways in which we have failed to do good to someone or to bless someone. Are we failing to see the way we have hurt others, whether intentional or not? Are we failing to see the way we have gossiped about someone? Are we failing to see the ways in which we have failed to look like Jesus, however and whenever that may have happened? Because listen, when we recognize when we recognize the ways in which we have been forgiven, I, I, I respond to hurt or pain, being hurt by someone, and I, I respond by saying, listen, it so easily could have been me. I could have easily been the one to hurt you because I know that I'm capable of doing that even though I don't intend to. And when I look at my own life and when I see the ways that Jesus has just lavished me with grace and forgiveness, why on earth would I ever hold that back from anyone else? Because of pride. We're called to offer the same mercy and forgiveness that we've been shown. And I love how we see some irony here because it would seem that the Pharisees are not excluded from that. Right? I loved how scholar David Neal points out. He said, and perhaps the greatest irony of the gospel so of the gospel story so far, Jesus gives the Pharisees who have caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness seven times a day. So this morning, I want to ask, 
from it. Who, who, who are you hesitating to forgive? Who is it? Maybe ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal to us who has hurt me and who am I hesitating to forgive? And on the flip side of that, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who do I need to receive forgiveness from? Who might I need to go to and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I love how at this point, (laughs) Jesus has just kind of said some pretty some pretty bold things. And, and I love how at this point, the disciples' response is, Lord, give us more faith, right? It, like this also reminds me of another moment in the gospels when Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into heaven. And the disciples just honestly are like, well, who then can be saved, honestly? And then Jesus, of course, responds with, well, with man, this is not possible, but with God, all things are possible. And so again, in this moment, we have Jesus saying some some really heavy, hard things, and the disciples say, Lord, give us more faith to do these things that you're asking us to do. They're simply asking in a way, Lord, we're, we're seeing a lack here. We're acknowledging that there is a lack of faith here. And, and we're asking that you could maybe make our faith bigger so that we can actually do what you're calling us to do. I read somewhere this week that the Greek word implies that they're asking for maybe like a crutch or something along those lines. Replace what isn't there with something big and grand so that we can do what you're asking us to do. And then Jesus responds with this peculiar, although well-known verse, where he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, but really, can we just acknowledge how troubling this verse is for us at times? And how many times you've looked at your faith, you've analyzed your faith, and you've said, well, it's apparently useless. Because that mulberry tree is not going anywhere. It's just not. I think sometimes we can really misunderstand this verse, and if we do, we, we can believe some troubling things. I wonder how many of us have, have seriously considered how weak our faith might be when things don't turn out like we hoped, when things don't turn out like we prayed they would. We question We doubt. Maybe we question and doubt God, but maybe sometimes we question and doubt our own faith. And I like how, I appreciated how as I read this week, scholars point out how this verse, Jesus' response, can mean a few different things. And one of those things that I think that it can mean for us is that we can sometimes reduce faith to like a magic formula. Right? Like if I, do, if I just do this, this, and this, then I'll have the perfect faith. Or if I just do this, this, and this, then my faith will be better and perfect. And I love how scholar N.T. Wright, he never fails. And I love how he says, it's not great faith you need. It's faith in a great God. Faith is like a window through which you can see something. He says, what matters is not whether the window is six inches or six feet high. 
What matters is the God that your faith is looking out on. If it's the creator God, the God active in Jesus and the spirit, then the tiniest little peephole of a window will give you access to power like you never dreamed of. Of course, this cannot, he says, be used for your own whim or pleasure. As soon as you try, it will show you that you've forgotten once more who this God really is. So we're brought back to humility once again. Friends, I want to ask us this morning, do we believe that God desires and promises to help us with these things he's called us to do? Would he call us to live a certain way if he wasn't planning to help us live that out? Is it not the power of Christ working in us and through us, or is it our own power? And is God not faithful? Has he not proven to be faithful time and time again? Because if we believe he is, then maybe the most simple and seemingly mundane act of faith carries this amazing potential for transforming me, a person, or us, a people, helping us to look exactly how God originally intended for us to look. Are you with me? Is your faith in that great God. And then another, another thing that we can pull from that response that Jesus gives with the mustard seed and the mulberry bush, another way of understanding that is maybe sometimes we need to have a little more of that God-like faith, that, that God-heavy faith. Maybe we need to be willing to put that and invest that into other people. Like if you have even the smallest amount of faith in people, it can produce miraculous results. We tend to believe the worst in people. And we tend to just be really cynical and believe the worst in everything. But I think we're being challenged. Rather than to assume the worst in people being critical and judgmental and condemning, maybe if we replace that with the tiniest, littlest amount of faith What can God do with that? So who do you need to have a little faith in today? Because Jesus, again, I'm reminded of something he says somewhere else. And it wasn't that long ago when he talks about the kingdom of God and how it's comparable to a mustard seed, right? It feels like nothing's happening. It feels small. The change feels small. It feels insignificant. It feels like you're doing all this work and nothing is changing or happening as a result. But he reminds us the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's happening in the seemingly small, ordinary, everyday mundane, and yet it is growing. It is growing and God is working through and in every little detail to continue to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, he's doing that both in us and in other people. And so Jesus ties all of this up with a passage or with a peculiar analogy at the end. At the end of the passage, he gives this peculiar analogy. I want to read it again. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after sheep. 
Will he say to the servant when he comes from in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Here's what you need to understand about this analogy. Jesus is using an example that was relatable to the audience of this day, right? He's not saying this is necessarily how it should be. He's not saying that the servant is not worthy to come and eat with the master or that he's not worthy to eat first. Jesus is just simply acknowledging and describing that isn't this how this usually works. If you have a servant, which people did, you don't expect them to, to receive rewards and recognition for doing their job, right? So Jesus, that's what we need to understand. He's not being demeaning. He's not demeaning servants here. He's simply acknowledging or describing that this is how things work. He's acknowledging that servants are, are doing their job when they serve. When they serve without expecting to be rewarded, they're just doing their job. And yes, that takes humility, but you wouldn't expect anything less, right? Servants serve. That's what they did. That's who they were. But you see, even though Jesus is using this analogy that was relatable and pertainable to those of this, of this day and those who are listening, what we need to understand from that is that it's not surprising that God would call his people to humbly teach and to humbly forgive or to humbly serve because this is who God has always been and this is what God has always called his people to do. God's people humbly love. They humbly teach and lovingly guide. God's people humbly and lovingly forgive. God's people humbly and lovingly serve. That's just who they are and that's just what they do. They don't do it because they're trying to impress God or look good to God. They're not doing it to be rewarded by God and so that God might pat us on the head and say, oh, good job, you're doing so great. It's who we are, it's what we do. It's what Christ did, and in response, we are compelled to love and teach and serve and forgive in the same way. This is just who we are called to be. And this is who God has always called us to be. Even though this is countercultural and it's a rarity among people today. As we close this morning, I couldn't help but think of Micah chapter 6 this week as I, as I just kind of walked through this passage multiple times. I kept coming back to Micah 6. And in case you're not familiar with Micah 6, I, I don't want to preach a whole other sermon on Micah 6, but Micah chapter 6, if you want to go read it sometime, is in response to Israel's failure, right? Like we've gone through this time and time again, Israel has failed to be who God has called them to be, and God is calling them to remember who they are and to return to him and to return to his love. 
And so Micah is, is delivering these words to Israel, responding to their failure, but we need to understand that it wouldn't hurt for us to hear some of these reminders today. Scholars compare some of these, if you read Micah 6, there's some questions that the people of God are asking, okay? And scholars compare some of these questions in Micah 6 to what we might understand as entrance liturgies that you read in the Psalms. And I know I just said a whole lot of confusing things to you, but here's what you need to understand. This means that the people of God, typically when they were going to worship, going to the temple to worship, they might ask some reflective questions or they might ask some questions of God. These are questions that they might ask on their way. And so in this moment, scholars are pointing to this moment saying this might be one of those things where they are headed to the temple, they're, they're going to worship God, they're aware of their sin and their failures and their shortcomings, and they're asking questions like, oh God, what can we bring? What can we do to make this right? We've sinned, we have failed. What can we do to make it right? What can we bring so that it might be enough to please you and appease you? We'll give anything. I mean, some of them were willing to sacrifice people sometimes. Like, is that what it takes, God? We'll do it for you. What is it that you want us to do to make this right? And that's where we get, that's where we come to Micah 6, 8, which is a well-known verse, but there's so much context behind it, where Micah says to the people of God, he has shown you mortal humility. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord ask of you? What does he ask you to bring? What does he ask you to do? None of these things you're offering to bring or do. He has shown you what is good. Act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back as we, pray for a time, as we prepare for a time of response. But as you think about these words, what has God asked of you? What is it that's good? Act justly, right? How, how can we act justly? Well, friends, that can only happen when you're walking humbly with your God. How can we love mercy? How can we strive and seek to always do what is right and what is righteous in God's eyes? That can only happen when you walk humbly with your God. I think it's then and only then, walking humbly with our God, that our hearts can truly break when God does. It's then and only then that we can be the faithful voice that speaks in the face of injustice. It is when we have humbled ourselves, it is then and only then that we can demonstrate a Christ-like mercy in a world that worships and longs for retribution. Friends, this is a hard word because humility is not second nature for a lot of us, right? Humility is, is not second nature, and it's really sometimes not even considered to be a praiseworthy attribute in a lot of circles, unless, of course, you're, being, you're self-deprecating, then it's, oh, they're so humble, right? 
But that's not what God's talking about here. God's people cannot and should not act like masters. We are to remain humble. Walk humbly with our God. Otherwise, we will just as easily find ourselves doing and saying what the Pharisees did and said. We'll find ourselves withholding forgiveness. We find ourselves supporting the unjust and unfair treatment of God's beloved. And so this morning, as you prepare to respond, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts. God, I pray that you would continue to work out some of these things in us, some of these hard questions that we've asked throughout this passage. God, I pray that you would address, see and address those things and help us to be obedient and to respond. God, help us, help us to humble ourselves this morning. And God, help us to do these things that you've called us to do. To do what is just and fair to our neighbor. To be compassionate and loyal in our love. To not think that we have it all figured out. But to walk humbly with you. And we will see and know how to live and what to do. Only through your grace and through your strength. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us if you're able, if you would like to, while we sing. Join us as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we do that, I feel like humility just comes naturally. It's not something we have to force, but when we gaze upon the beauty and the perfection of Jesus, we are just humbled. So let's do that this morning.
darkness alone faultless stand before the throne Jesus okay to just rest in a quiet moment, right? Thank you, God. You're so good. Rest in you. just pray that you would continue to work these things out within us. God, I pray that we would not walk away feeling defeated and discouraged or feeling terrible about ourselves because we know, God, that is not what you want us to feel today. That it is good to recognize our failures and shortcomings. It's good to 
to look inward and to ask you to search us and, and, and reveal what you find in us that is keeping us from fully sharing the light and love of Christ with those around us. But God, we are not meant to walk away feeling defeated or discouraged or like the scum of the earth. You rebuke any kind of shame that might be felt this morning, but instead, may we feel a spirit-filled and a spirit-induced sense of purpose and calling and forgiveness because that is there for us too. May we feel a renewed sense of strength and grace and mercy, and may we leave this place ready to share freely these things with the people in our lives and the people around us. God, we simply acknowledge this morning that we cannot do this without you. Try as we might, we will fail every time. But it's your strength, it's your power within us that can help us to live in this way that you've called us to live. And God, we trust and expect that you will help us with these things in our own lives and in our shared lives together. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just want to share a few quick announcements with you before we leave today. Um, I want to share with you that uh, for the rest of September, we will be uh, collecting uh, water bottles for the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes that we're going to be doing soon. Um, and I just want to make sure that, well, I guess this is the last Sunday in September, so that'll be something new next month. Um, I want to remind you about our all-church fall celebration on October 14th. That's at Eckert's in Millstadt. Um, I, I think there's been some maybe information that wasn't communicated totally accurately for that, and that's um, on us. But the cost, has we've said it's $16, but we actually learned this week that it's going to be the cost on Friday nights is $11 per person. And so, surprise, <laughs> you get a discount, <laughs> an unexpected discount. Um, and so just plan to, to prepare to pay. It's $11 per person. Um, and, and each family is responsible for going online and paying for that ticket. That's your ticket to get in. Uh, but the church has covered the cost for the actual bonfire sites. Um, that we will be gathering around that night. So if you have any other questions, let us know. But also sign up in the foyer if you plan to come. Um, we just would like to know who all will be coming so we know how many spots to reserve um, and, and you can sign, out, uh, sign up for what to bring. Uh, Lunch Bunch will be meeting this week, this Wednesday at noon. Um, that's going to be at Bandanas. And then I also just want to share with you don't forget, we're, we're collecting pajamas and diapers for Restore Network for the next few weeks. That was kind of unexpected, but we are going to go ahead and do that, so let us know. And I have no idea what's going on right now, so I'm feeling confused, but enlighten me. Uh, um, I know the calendar still says this is September, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So I was given 
Bo, this includes you too, so you have to come on out. Because we were given instructions, and I have a whole thing here to say. This was oh, written wow. to me, so I won't forget anything. Um, okay, so I think there's going to be a slide up here. Not yet? Yeah. There it is. All right, so um, there are four things on the slide for everybody to see. Um, there is a plate, a bowl, a tray, and a towel. And Dawn has all of these four things, and she is coming to give them. Two of them go to you. Okay. And two more go to you. And we have, yes. And as you can see here, so whenever you see these four things, and this goes very well to sermon today, so Nicole, you probably knew this, I guess, because it seems very planned out. What word, what word comes to mind when you see these four things? To serve, and it even is on there, to serve. All right, so, huh? Oh, it's a great Not to be Sorry. confused. I thought it said not to be confused. All right, I've already messed this up. So anyway, so from Eddie Clore's sermon, I don't know if that's a name, entitled The Message of the Towel, he says, A towel was a simple piece of cloth that was seen daily. Every house had towels and everyone used them. We might think that such an occurrence as the use of a towel would be listless and non-expressive, for it was commonplace. However, when Jesus took it and used it to wash the apostles' feet, he turned it into one of the world's greatest memories. It became a testimony that conveyed humility, self-sacrifice, and servanthood. He who forgets that forgets who Jesus was and is and forgets the true calling of discipleship. In Galatians 5, 13, 14, the apostles said, By love, serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So I know you two are standing there wondering what's going on, but so your BFCN family is going to recognize that you two as our pastors embody these qualities of servanthood. So in the month of October, there are three things we're going to do to celebrate our, our two pastors here. So the first thing that we're going to do um, is in that tray is an envelope that has two tickets to an event that's sponsored by local pastors um, by the BOT radio network that takes place on Wednesday, October 5th. Um, there's a four-course meal there in downtown St. Louis. I think the window's on Washington. Um, there, Tim Hawkins is going to be there. Um, so you guys have that to look forward to. And then in the month of October, we're also going to uh, pray for you two. Uh, every Monday through Thursday, they're going to uh, organize prayers and send those out over Facebook and do weekly emails from the church. And then finally, on the last Sunday in October, on uh, Sunday, October 30th, we're going to have a potluck lunch here following the worship service um, that everyone will be invited to stay for. So more information and details will be sent on that later. Um, anyway, we just want to say one more time on behalf of BFCN Church, your church family here, that we thank you um, very much for everything you two have done in the year and a half, almost two years now. Um, we hope you enjoy your little gifts here, um, and we hope you enjoy your, uh, your day uh, in St. Louis, as well as a potluck lunch. So once again, thank you, and we love you. We appreciate everything you do here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, thank you. That's very nice. Adam, thank you for saying all the things. I know that you get put on the spot for that, so thank you. Uh, well, I'm excited for October. October's my favorite month anyways, but now I'm really excited to have lunch with you all in about a month, so that'll be really great. Uh, thank you. I, I really don't. This all makes me uncomfortable, so I'm just going to ask you all to stand now. <laughs> And I want you to know this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are are loved, that you are loved. And I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord. I pray that you would act justly, that you would love mercy, and that you would walk humbly with your God this week. You are loved and dismissed. Have a great day.